from 11FS, I'm David Breer, and this is Fintech Insider News. Today, we bring you Revolut Keeps on Spinning, Zero are making tax great again, and the UK MPs are very likely to launch a probe into RBS Remedies fund allocation. Ooh. All this and much, much more on today's show. Welcome to episode 311 of Fintech Insider. We're coming to you live from the 11FS offices in Devonshire Square, London. I'm David Breer, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Ross Gallagher, the Terry Wogan of Fintech. How's it going? Oh, wow. What an intro. Um, it's, yeah, going really well. Really pleased to be here. Very, very good. You had a busy week? Very busy week. They're all busy weeks. This is a sort of a small event happening after this today, isn't Just it? Just a small one. Nothing major. No, nothing no. too much. All right, well, yeah. foreshadowing. We'll come to that right. a little bit well, later. Well, exactly. Okay. Uh, making their Fintech Insider debuts this week, we have uh, Ken Hart, founder of Snowdrop Solutions Limited. How's it going? Very good. Pleasure to be here. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a background on what Snowdrop is? Sure. Sure. We work very closely with Google Maps and we provide location intelligence for a lot of digital banks. So, you know, the ability to sort of figure out where your transaction is taking place and show it very quickly on a map and enable people to build a lot of insights and additional services on top of that. Very, very cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, and joining us, making well, the first FinTech Insider debut kind of in a different badge this time. Um, you know, I think, was it the January transfer windows that you moved to a new place? But uh, <laughs> uh, now over to Barclays, it's uh, Mrs. Megan Kaywood, now Managing Director of Barclays. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. I think the first time I was on one of these podcasts was back in like July 2016 or something or other. So um, yeah, as a as a regular and a, a huge fan, it's great to be here again. <laughs> I mean, are you going to be like way more official now that you're like at yeah. a big bank or is, is that how it's going to... Absolutely. Is yeah, it? this I've prepared every line I'm about to say. No, <laughs> no keep it going. Very much not true. All right. Welcome to the show, guys. Um, let's get on with the news. So first up, we have Revolut keeps on spinning. So this is over on BBC News. We have Revolut whistleblower had concerns over CEO conduct and compliance. So the FCA has made inquiries to Revolut about uh, after being contacted by an ex-employee and whistleblower. Whistleblower sounds like such a dramatic term, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, who passed on their concerns regarding compliance of their CEO's conduct as far back as 2016. So this just sort of feels like with everything that's happening at Revolut uh, that that all of the weirdness is just sort of coming out of the uh, the woodwork to a certain degree. What yeah, do you think, it's Ross? Been a, it's been a bit of a bad news shitstorm, hasn't it? Yeah. It's, been, it's not been a great time for these guys, let's be honest. Yeah, I feel like it started at Valentine's Day when they had what I thought was a very well-intentioned funny ad about the, you know, to the 12,347 people yeah. Yeah, who got a single takeaway, like, you okay? Sure. And, like, I thought it was funny, but I could see I could see the point of the criticism, but that just seemed to snowball, and then all of a sudden with the chief finance officer leaving, and then they were saying, oh, he's leaving, and it's tied to these other, you know, problems that they've had with their, what was it, with their fraud system, mm. and it... I've read the kind of rebuttal article where they were saying, no, it just so happened that we were implementing this new system. There's too many false positives. We're mm-hmm. also just wanting to be a fully licensed bank now. So our chief finance officer thinks that, you know, the ways that he got us here won't take us there. And so he's just naturally wanting to pass on the torch now. And so it's hard to kind of parse out, like, is it just a snowball of really bad negative media that like the, you know, the media is loving now, or is it all as bad and the culture is as bad as they're making well, it out? Well, there's also the articles that have come out in like Wired, Right. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. if you, if I remember correctly, there were something like you had to hire 200 or you had to sign up 200 people. This if you wanted the, to work at the organization, mm, you had to sign up 200 friends. So, you know, like a Ponzi yeah. scheme, right? Yeah. So I don't know whether that's true or not, yeah. but I think it's fair to say, 
you know, if you're going to be disruptive, you need to take risks. Fine, fair enough. And if you were to look at a company like Uber, mm-hmm. and if you think about, you know, the founder there, Travis, what he did to sort of aggressively disrupt the industry, that works to a certain point. And then if you want to be a trusted partner with people's finances, you need to make a pivot. Mm-hmm. You need to do something differently. Well, it's going to be really interesting, as you say, to see what they do. You know, are they going to shake it up a little bit in terms of the, you know, a different appointment there? or uh, Because actually, when you look at what Revolut has, they have an amazing machine. You know, they are delivering capability and features. And actually, they've got an incredibly loyal customer base that's, that's there. And even after all of these things, I don't think they've, you know, really been shaken by that. So if they could get the, the right leadership in place, maybe they could turn it around. Yeah, well, it just reminded me there was this large um, consumer tech company back a couple of years ago that got caught out on having their employees skip the compliance training. I want to make sure I get this right. I think it was someone like Zenefits or someone in that space. I don't recall who it was exactly. But it was very much like, ah, you have all this training to do in order to offer this particular type of software. Just kind of fast forward through it and plug in these answers and call it good. A, B, B, C, D. And they're like, (laughs) yeah, and it was very much like this mentality that people like in Uber and these consumer tech companies who sometimes make these really poor decisions and think they get away with it and they do until they get to scale. And then all of a sudden, you know, all sorts to come to light. But it's really quite sad for me because I really want to see more um, tech companies and digital challengers who are really putting out a positive name for, you know, investing in a good culture, appreciating mm-hmm. your employees, having good work-life balance and knowing you can be successful and also work a normal work day mm. and have a family and do all the things. Um, so I hope that, yeah, that kind of improves on their side as it's a bit sad well, right now. Well, like you say, it's it's the thing that, um, you know, big banking organizations generally look enviously at small organizations in terms of the culture that can, they can mm-hmm. establish. So, you know, if it's gone, you know, bad so quickly, then it's going to be a really interesting thing if, it's, you yeah. know, really to see if they can turn it around. Yeah. What do you think, Russ? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, w- what strikes me is is the difference in narrative that you hear from the media, and then what r- comes out in response um, from Revolut, typically, t- typically Nikolai. You know, I, I think Revolut are, are kind of saying that what the where they missed the flags that was part of a pilot introducing a new system that would go kind of above and beyond the fca regulations and that actually their existing um anti-fraud systems were running in parallel so there was never an issue um the line from the fca is that they did get in contact they were concerned and they made specific recommendations the line back out from revolute was this is the first we've ever heard of it Mm -hmm. so um it's 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 blurry. Well, we definitely have seen an action that they are taking. So this is a, a sub-story around this one. So this is over on Yahoo Finance. Uh, Revolut calls in ex-Daily Mail editor and hunts defamation lawyer as negative headlines continue. So it seems they're fighting fire sort of with lawyers on this one, which is uh, which is interesting. So uh, Revolut have hired a PR firm with a specialist in crisis communications. So um, I guess they're taking it reasonably seriously. Yeah. You would hope so. I mean, those are pretty big accusations, right? Um, and it is bad, you know, Boeing isn't happy or Airbus isn't happy that Boeing has a problem because it jeopardizes the whole passenger confidence in air travel, mm. right? Mm. So in our experience, we work with lots of digital banks, you know, Starling, Monzo, dozens, Moniz, they're great places to work. You know, I remember talking to many, many people and they love working there. So, uh, you know, the digital banking sector in the UK is a really amazing jewel. And, you know, it needs to move forward. It needs to gain trust with people. 
but you don't want to be destroying sort of confidence in this new industry, mm. especially at this time. Yeah, I agree. I, I hope they get it fixed. You know, there's a lot of good people there. You know, I know a lot of good people at, at Revolut who would do a yeah. really, really good oh, job. Yeah. So, you know, I hope they um, manage to get it fixed because, uh, you know, reputation's a hard thing to get back, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and to Megan's point, you know, culture in particular comes from within this isn't about you know hiring someone from outside and i'm not sure anyway if the situation that they're in they want to be associated with the daily mail um they, i think they need to reflect inwards and sort of um, and go from there i think it's um it's always an exercise in leadership yeah get the right leader and everything will be fine all right let's move on Okay, so next story we have over on the FT, which is let's make tax great again. So this is uh, UK steps up shift into digital tax collection. Um, I guess probably the best person to explain this one to is, is actually Gary Turner over at Zero. So let's hear a little bit about what Gary said. I think it's fair to say that making tax digital is one of the biggest changes to the UK's tax system in a very long time. As of 1st of April, most businesses over the VAT threshold of £85,000 a year now need to store their financial information and records digitally and they need to file their VAT returns digitally also. So it really signals the end of this era of paper-based accounting and shoeboxes and moleskin notebooks uh, for many businesses and accounting firms across the UK. And the ambition uh, that HMRC have is to create one of the world's most digitally advanced tax administrations and MTDs to, to first cab off the rank. Now, there's about 1.2 million businesses that fall into this category. The good news is, certainly from our perspective, um, over 300,000 businesses in the UK using zero automatically inherit MTD. So there's no upgrades, there's no changes, there's nothing else you have to buy. So zero customers will um, hopefully very easily accommodate the, the new rules. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that um, HMRC have been criticised about the lack of communication and awareness and varying surveys and studies are pointing to about a, about a quarter of businesses are vaguely aware or haven't even heard of making touch digital. And so it's really fallen to businesses like Zero and the software community to get the message out there. And of course, Brexit's getting all the headlines at the moment. And so therefore, nobody's really paying very much attention to MTD. But it's one of the biggest changes and it's now live. Thanks very much for that, Gary. Um, I like I don't know about you guys, but I've seen him on Sky News and BBC News over the last couple of days. So um, thanks very much for making time for us there. Um, really interesting, right? Yeah, you know, this is a great move of uh, of us to sort of put in place this type of system. But I have sure. to agree with Gary. Like the only places that I've actually seen this uh, make mainstream is actually in places that I've seen zero talking about it. I don't know. If, mm. Same yeah, for you. Haven't yeah. seen the ads in the tube and stuff like that. No, I really no. haven't. Like honestly, I've barely so down on your phone. I literally am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my head's in my iPhone all the time. I will say, so when I moved over to London just back in 2016 and I was working at Starling, I remember having a conversation with Gary about making tax digital and like what it would mean and how it was going to affect small businesses first and what we could do between a challenger bank and zero back at the time. So it feels like we've been talking about it for so long, but it's really just now starting to become mainstream. But actually, the thing I love about the UK regulator is how it's having this digital push. So it used to have like RTI, which is about like real-time reporting of information to HMRC with every pay run, and then auto enrollment to help people save for their future, now making tax digital. So it's kind of a pain, but I actually think it's really great and helps the, the country to keep moving forward in ways that we actually don't see in a lot of other areas. Mm. Well, yeah. moving away, as you say, from that sort of weird you know, paper box of stuff that you try and deal with right at the end of the year. So, you know, and, and if um, accounting packages can sort of spearhead that movement a little bit more, then all for the good, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, as a small business you know, who has to file with HMRC and now with the IRS, you know, you guys sort of take for granted what you have here. 
So, you know, there is a lot of effort done here in the UK to make it a digital organization. I completely agree with Megan. Yeah, the, the concept's exactly right, isn't it? Um, and now it's just all about implementation. And it was interesting what Gary said about um, comms and education. I think that's going to make or break this, isn't it? Mm. Whether that's it, there or not. It, it's amazing how many times, like, headlines are around regulation these days. Though. Sure. It's like, you know, p- uh, open banking's been a big push, and then GDPR was the thing everybody was terrified of. And, you know, we're, now we're seeing sort of making tax digital. So it is amazing, as you say, the, the regulator is pushing so dramatically, you know, regulator, and I guess the, the government pushing so hardly, uh, hardly, that's definitely not a word, <laughs> pushing so hard to be in a situation where we're, we're you know, uh, pushing the the agenda of, of really sort of embedding digital. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the part about communication, getting the broader audience to understand it, there's just in every conversation about new regulation, there is this topic where it's like, how do we get everyone else who doesn't work in this industry to understand what it is and embrace it and get it out to like the wider public? But there's just so many acronyms. We have PSD2 and AE and RTI and MTD. And like, there's just, there's so much that's very specific to working in finance or in accounting software or in banking. And it isn't that interesting to the everyday person (laughs) (laughs) or even to necessarily small businesses who don't want to be experts in accounting or software or tax reporting i mean that's definitely true they they have a business to run right you know i don't want to worry about some acronym i don't understand i just want to make sure i file in time and deal with my expenses in a simple way right Mm -hmm. yeah that is probably what most people just want this sorted yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the job of the the accounting softwares in the banks. Be like, you know what? You don't have to be an expert at it. We can help you do that. So, yeah. And yeah, and good mindset, right? It's about do you take it and sort of out of the possible, what can we deliver to really add value for businesses? Or do you treat it like a compliance tick boxing exercise? And maybe that's where particularly GDPR has kind of fallen down a little bit. Yeah. I think my particular perspective on it is that the software companies who operate in the space almost have an onus or a burden to say, if we have to give you an FAQ for you to understand it, we have haven't done our jobs right we should make it simple enough and intuitive enough that you can figure it out just by the process of running your business or using our tool or whatever yep. it is so yeah i think um yeah it's great to see so many people working on it though to make that happen well let's see what the adoption's like or if uh like you say the all of the brexit stuff is probably getting in the way of anybody actually listening to it so yeah. the, the what I mean, look, if I've missed making tax digital and you've missed Brexit, like, uh, I, I, think, good thing, I think right? I win. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, next, we have a story over on The Telegraph. This is cash probe into RBS remedies funds. So MPs are very likely to launch a RBS cash pot probe, which is really difficult to say. I swear to God, the producers do that every week <laughs> just to make it difficult for me to say a thing. But uh, um, so MPs are said to be preparing to launch an investigation into the way small lenders were awarded uh, portions of the 775 million RBS cash pile earlier this year. So the giveaway is aimed to create more banking options for UK small businesses. Uh, But the Treasury Select Committee is considering a probe into how the decisions are actually made. Um, If I'm honest, I've sort of heard on the back line for this one that um, I think some of the people who didn't get the awards are a little bit perturbed by that. Um, So I think there's, I imagine there's an element of sort of stoking the, the flames there a little bit to um, to make sure that uh, you know the the, the reg- regulators really sort of looking at this one closely, but um, as I understand it, they've actually had Baringa uh, sort of governing this whole process. So I think it'd be very very unlikely to find that there's any sort of improper doing in terms of the the distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the Baringa arrangement they were supposed to be feeding information into the process, not necessarily being part of um, actually allocating any of the the portions. Now, that's been called into question as to whether they actually fed into the final outcomes. I think the issue 
um, that the MPs are uncomfortable with is the sort of opaqueness around what were the criteria and they've no idea how those decisions were made. Hmm. I guess it's, is it slightly too late after you've allocated, you know, I don't mean, yeah, I think so. I, I can't, I, I can't imagine they just transferred a hundred million to Starling like immediately no, no, after no, no. it, and but it's one of those ones. It's like, are they, I, should this have happened beforehand? Do you think? Yes. And I think the only way that those funds can actually be clawed back is if they've been, um, improperly spent. spent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically closing the barn door after the horse is bolted. Yeah, I guess it might affect because there's pool B, C, and D, isn't there? Yep. So I wonder if it's an exercise in them maybe sort of tightening up some of the governance processes that they have for the, the following ones. Yeah. Look, there's probably many, many other examples in government spending that could be more, let's say, dubious and called into question. Uh, also, you could figure That out- sounds fascinating. Let's go on to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe don't, actually, think about it. <laughs> yeah, let's, no, but if you think about it, there's obviously a process that they followed. Fine. There's yeah. winners and losers, right? But then there's also other mechanisms by which you can- incubate, let's say, the great UK market here for fintechs, and and there could be other alternatives to do this. And I'm I'm not really I'm you know I don't have anything prescriptive in mind other than I don't know a pinata or something and let people whack at it. But well, I have well, no I, ha- I have said that a few times. I'm yeah. like the the opportunity was so dramatically missed to make this some sort of apprentice style. Yeah. yeah. You know, get Anne in the boardroom, televise the whole thing, <laughs> yeah. like see how much she really wants that hundred million. You yeah. know, so again, the, the the UK has this great you know amazing digital banking community, and it, it could have been maybe more dramatically allocated, as you say. But the fact that they're even doing it yeah. is a good thing. And again, don't lose sight of that. This isn't happening in other places. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I was just going to make the point that um, the MPs may well look into the process that was followed, the criteria that were followed, and that may well have knock-on implications into how the further pools are allocated. But actually, I think it made quite a powerful statement that the allocations went to challenger banks. And, and and you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot around sort of value for money and how these guys can deliver, follow startup execution approaches, agile, all that sort of stuff. It makes sense. I think, obviously, the issue was around Metro Bank and um, what happened there. Yeah. I think uh, I totally agree with the points that the incentive behind it, like the thought behind it is very positive. We're wanting to increase competition. We're wanting to increase innovation. We're looking at the financial crisis. It's, you know, as a reaction to, you know, RBS being bailed out and everything ha- that happened during that time period and giving it to the people like the Challengers, Starling, ClearBank, Metro is ultimately a good thing. It's good for customers. It's Agreed. good for, you know, the UK. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of that. Personally, having been at Starling, it wasn't something that was lackadaisical. And I'm sure when they got the 100 million this year, it was like, oh, look at that. I mean, a lot of work and went into this, you know, they put a lot of time and effort. They had to build a case. And so I think, you know, whenever you're giving out that much money and someone's sad that they did not get $100 million for free, I'm sure that they would want to ask questions about why they did not get that. So I suppose it's perhaps unsurprising. But yet at the same time, um, I would agree with your points that they'll probably just take any of this feedback into the next rounds, but not necessarily do anything retrospectively. Mm. The reality is they now have $100 million. And the challenger banks are actually quite good at doing a lot with very little. Exactly. So it will actually be more of a challenge of how can we spend this much money within five years? They're not like the big banks. They they can do so much with a small amount. So I yeah. think the real challenge is exactly. spend it. <laughs> well, that, that's the point that Tom Blomfield actually made when he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's like, actually, I've you know, only raised $100 million. So the fact that now actually there's a uh, deployment of this amount of cash into the SME market, like you say, ultimately, this is going to be really good for the, the SME market Completely. in terms of the opportunities. But the, the Treasury Select Committee has actually come out pretty 
ballsy in terms of some of the statements. So we've seen, uh, so John Mann, a member of the Treasury Select Committee, appeared to go further by saying it was absolutely wrong for Metro Bank to have received these funds. I feel like I should have done like old posh man voice, but I really couldn't muster it. But, <laughs> sure, uh, but definitely like, you know, they're, they're kind of coming out swinging with, particularly on the Metro front, given Why the- Metro? Yeah. Well, they, they had a bit of an accounting problem. That's pretty uh, They massively did their accounts wrong. Mm. Uh, so if basically so, the 120 million is going to plug a big accounting gap that they have now to make the, uh, the balance their sheet- um, then uh, I think people are kind of seeing this as probably misuse of what those funds would be. Because um, the the allocation has been very specifically the uh, use of the funds can only be for things that you weren't already planning to do, um, which, um, you know, balancing your sheets was hopefully one of the things that you were planning to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, with the allocation of funds, they say if you don't spend it correctly, whether well, they have to do pay it back with like 8% interest. Yeah. Jesus. So there is a remediation in place for if they're not spending the funds in the way that they should be to like grow the economy and the sector. So, yeah. I mean, so much as probing into retrospectively how they got it, it would probably more be a forward thinking view of what are you going to now do with it? And if it's just probing a gap, then, you know, is that fulfilling the requirements? Yeah. I, I love that this this is like turning into like a 775 million pound Brewster's millions, though. Yeah. You know, like you have to spend this money in five years. It has to be on something you wouldn't have done before. Like you can't give it away. You have to spend it like that type of vibe. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Just, just, just think of the, take a Wells Fargo in the U.S. They did some not cool things a couple of years ago, they had find, what did the U.S. government do? Pocket the money, right? I mean, you know, sometimes, so this is a pretty unique thing, what they're doing here. Whether they spend it, these companies, wisely, judiciously, quickly, slowly, it's still a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this has a lot more potential for me than just kind of spinning back out Williams and Glenn and kind of leaving it at that. Yeah. Mm. Well, we, we should definitely get, uh, you know, Tide and uh, mm. our friends at ClearBank and Starling and Metro kind of on a show and go, so what are you going to do with the money, guys? Yeah. Let's see what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, let's set that up. <laughs> All right, moving on to banks getting millions to banks spending billions. So this is big banks spending billions on digital again. I think I have a slide that goes along this lines actually, Ross. It needs but, to be uh, updated. Um, Finextra uh, put this one out there. Is Banco Santander uh, earmarks 20 billion euros for digital spend. So this 20 is 20 billion. That's a lot of money, isn't it? So uh, Banco Santander is to spend 20 billion euros on digital technology over the next four years. Damn, that's five billion a year. That is some like it's again, impressive. hundred million over five years spending. Try spending twenty billion over, uh, over the next. That's six weeks of revenue for Google. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, I mean, like, so they're going to do a Google? I don't know. Like, no, just to put it in perspective, right? So yeah. if you want to compete with the big boys, yeah, yeah. you better spend. Yeah, but yeah. the interesting thing on this one is that they're actually spending twenty billion to uh, aiming to wipe one point two billion off its annual cost. So they're spending twenty billion to take one point two billion out of their annual cost in terms of their IT infrastructure. So this is mm -hmm. uh, moving their IT infrastructure towards a multi-cloud environment with global platforms supported Ooh. by agile methodologies. Multi-cloud. I mean, like, there's all the good buzzwords in that, yeah. one, isn't there? Yeah. Like, uh, they're spending twenty billion over yeah. five years on buzzwords. They're creating synergies. Oh, yeah, yeah. they're yeah. going to circle back to those synergies. Yeah, they've identified opportunities for growth. And they're going to touch <laughs> base synergies. on those opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I'm very cynical about this. Uh, I haven't, I don't know if you've picked up on my tone, yeah, but, but, um, but the idea that they're spending this amount, of, like the idea that they're doing this 
awesome. You know, like moving to taking dramatic cost out of your back office. The fact you're spending 20 billion pounds to do this is just mad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, the whole way it's positioned is wrong. Why do banks always talk about how much they're going to spend, not the value that they're going to deliver for end users? Why do they always talk about the outcomes as cost saving rather than, you know, we're going to deliver these great new propositions? Maybe because they don't know what the end result should could be yeah but i I always think it's though like the minute you say you're going to spend 20 billion euros surely like every consultancy is just queued up outside santander hq for like a mile they just go for these like sensationalist figures to get vendors excited right yeah well it actually ties in really nicely to the last story because they were actually in contention for the remedies fund and people were pointing out like the amount of money that they have and spend is just it pales well what the challenges have in spend pales in comparison to someone like Santander. So what you know a Starling could do with a hundred million is far different than Santander. And I think this actually goes to really that point that they're spending twenty billion yeah. to save one point two. Um yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's weird. I always kind of think if you have to spend twenty billion, like how bad is the problem? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like what yeah, could yeah. purely with like one of those billions, what what could you do mm-hmm. in terms of like starting a completely greenfield organization to kind of build out all these things? Yeah. But if your organization in your back office and your IT is so broken that it's twenty billion pounds, like what the fuck is the problem? Like yeah. seriously. Yeah. yeah, I'd really love to know. Is, if there, anyone... is there not a an extra zero in here or something? You know? No, I checked. Honestly, like it's yeah, like a, f- a few times just to make yeah. sure, and just to make sure it was in euros and not like some random currency that made it like fifty thousand or something. Right. But uh, anyway, all right. Well, I'm sure we'll love to see what Santander spend all that money on. I mean, I, I read this week that um, U.S. banks are projected to spend sixty-seven billion in 2019 alone. So that slide's definitely going to need to be updated. It will need to be updated. Yeah, we need a bigger amount of money. All right, we'll be back very shortly. This deal sets apart. This economy is... We need to get down to business. We need to get down to business. Business investment. Jobs. The more you hear about Brexit, the less clear it all becomes. When everyone else is shouting, listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com. Calling all fintechs, banks, developers. Are you looking at ways to use new open APIs to create the next financial app? Are you looking to break into new markets, the USA in particular? Finastra and Microsoft are hosting the Fusion One Developer Conference in London on the 21st and 22nd of May 2019, down at Tobacco Dog. Join this free open finance developer conference to upskill in open APIs Understand how you can tap into Finastra's 8,000-strong client base with your apps and get hands-on technical walkthroughs with the platform and API experts. Register your place at Fusion One today online at fusionone.cloud. Join the open banking revolution because, after all, we're all innovators. Welcome back to Fintech Insider from 11FS. Uh, this week, it's our third birthday. Woohoo! Uh, we're three years old today, and it's safe to say we've come a very, very long way since me, Jason, Simon Ross, and Megan were just basically hanging out in a spit-filled <laughs> Starbucks for a little while. It was kind of weird. Um, multiple banks built 300-plus episodes of this podcast, not to mention building out 11FS Pulse product and embarking on a bit of a journey to rethink core banking with 11FS Foundry. 
Wow, we've been busy. Um, safe to say, though, we do get shit done, and we're growing and scaling, and therefore looking for wonderful, talented human beings. Yeah, we really are. Is this like an advert for us, Ross? Is this getting weird right now? So we're definitely, definitely, definitely looking for talented people to come and join 11FS. So if you're either a world-class engineer, a producer, a product manager, uh, come and hit us up over at 11FS.com. All right, let's get on with the show. Let's do it. Okay, next up we have a story over on Business Insider. This is Subscribe to Wealth, the Netflix of data. That sounds like it needs a dun-dun-dun, yeah, does, doesn't, doesn't it? it. Um, so this is Goldman Sachs is exploring plans to create a Netflix for data. Hmm, interesting. So investors may soon be paying monthly subscription fees to Wall Street banks in the much way that they subscribe to Netflix or Spotify. Okay, they made this sound a lot more sexy than it was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I thought I was going to get Netflix of data. Yeah, mm. I thought I was going to get music and like like films <laughs> and stuff, but I'm just getting data now, aren't I? Mm. I guess this is a good we can idea still though. There on some like hand Zimmer, like dramatic music. We get Alex, where yeah. she goes out. You on that, Alex? Right? We'll sex this up. Alex. All right, cool. So <laughs> Goldman Sachs is looking to hire an entry level salesperson whose job would include selling internal data. I mean, I'm not sure they meant that in the way that it sounds, but, uh, um, you know, the person will work with the head of data service to create a whole data as a service product set. Um, I, I kind of think this makes sense. Again, there's a lot of skepticism in my voice through the, the entirety of this one, but I've just had a tough week, okay, guys? So don't take it personally. <laughs> but, but yeah. Happy birthday. Right? I know, thank yeah. you. Happy birthday. Um, but, um, you know, the idea that they're looking at monetization in a very different way, yeah. uh, this is a smart thing to do from Goldman Sachs' perspective, right? I've, it depends on what data they're monetizing. I think... A lot of banks look to the GAFAs, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, at what they do and how they do it. And it's like, oh, advertising, using data to do advertising. But the truth is, people are pretty weary of their banking data to be used for advertising and even sharing their data with a third party. And then that third party creating derivative data and selling that on an aggregate is, is still a bit off-putting. So I think that they're looking at, oh, the API economy has transformed payments like Stripe and messaging like Twilio. Let's do the same thing with the Netflix of bank data. But it could be powerful, but I think they just probably have to think through some of those privacy concerns to make sure they're doing it in a thoughtful way that people still own their data and have that level of oversight or insight into what's being shared and when. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. I mean, we work in location. Imagine if I could buy someone's location data. Yeah. It gets a little creepy. Well, it gets really creepy really quickly, right? So, you know, it's important. Data is not data. There's noise and there's signal. And it depends what you're looking for and what the users give their consent. So this is, yeah, in principle, you know, data is interesting, but it's really important to do this right. Yeah, I, I agree with you all. I think I think you're right. I think um, it's really good that we're starting maybe to now see some innovation around the business model because I don't think we've really seen enough of that in this space. Um, but it has to be done right. We shouldn't just innovate around the business model for the sake of innovating around the business model. What really struck me about this story was basically we built this entire news story around an entry-level job spec. <laughs> I know, right? I, I mean, it looks like that intern's going to have a whole shit ton of stuff to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Should get him on the show. <laughs> we should. Yeah. We definitely should. Uh, conspiracy theories of fintech. But then, um, David, you always talk about value exchange, right? You know, I mean, I think we we talk about when you talk about. Um, selling data and uh, personalized advertising and all that sort of stuff. In a lot of ways, Facebook have kind of ruined the future. 
But if they can get that value, <laughs> if they can get that value exchange right, surely there's something in this. They generally say marketeers fuck up everything, right? Yeah, so, yeah. and um, very much that happens with with data. So, um, I, I think in this in particular instance, I think the you know the privacy concerns, uh, privacy concerns, and actually everything that we've seen with GDPR mm-hmm. definitely are kind of like a major sort of thread to this. But we had um, so Daniel Pinto, so JP Morgan's co-president, spoke to that difficulty earlier this year, saying uh, that discussions with clients had shown that many feel uneasy about having their own data shared. I guess it hasn't stopped them, though. No, uh, and I think like almost it. like where there's a revenue, there's a way type vibe with um, you know some of those organizations in terms of where we're seeing. But let's move on. Okay, so a new story over on uh, FinTech Futures. So this is Fedor CEO leaves as BPC sells bank. Um, so this is sad news, if I'm honest here. This is. is after seeing, uh, you know, BPCE, which if anybody doesn't know BPCE, they acquired Fedor back in 2016, which actually looked like at the time uh, an absolute blinder of a move. Completely. You know, actually Fedor created a really interesting platform, you know, really, really smart people over there were way ahead of the game in terms of kind of what they were doing. Um, but after three years of not really being able to make it work, uh, it looked like they were, what's the word for an... Unmer- like a conscious uncoupling. A, a conscious uncoupling. Yeah. Of, a la, a la, yeah courtesy you, of, of Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. 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 Such a terrific um, quote. So in 2019, so earlier on this year, uh, they sort of parted ways, but it seems that they only parted ways from a, you know, who sits in what's offices uh, way. Um, so BPC still own uh, Fedor, and now Mateus Kroner, who was the founder and, and CEO, has, has now left the organization. So uh, I know this is probably a real tough time for Fedor because I know he was a real driving force there. For sure. So uh hope everybody's okay over there. Yeah. What do you guys think? Um, I think it's genuinely really sad. Um, I think, you know, you talk about levels of partnerships. David, you mentioned that it kind of came across as a blinding move on, on BPCE's part. On reflection, it was probably a fairly light touch partnership um, that generated a lot of um, of buzz from a, a sort of PR perspective. But there seemed to be no real strategy in place from an integration perspective. They were just left with a whole heap of technical debt, and now they've decided just to sort of part ways. It is genuinely sad. I think it's um, it's one of those ones. It's amazing when senior leadership changes in a big organization how dramatically different the strategy becomes. Oh yeah, um, because actually, for everything that I understand, it wasn't a great deal of money that they managed to pick up feed all for but actually if they'd managed to move even a fraction of their systems to this it would have sure. saved them you know billions in terms mm-hmm. of you know the 20 billion mm-hmm. that we're seeing uh, santander mm-hmm. spends this mm-hmm. was a, a better move they just didn't manage to pull it off yeah and i think sometimes that's the reality if you acquire a really technically savvy awesome company it still depends on your ability to integrate it yep. to work with them to bring them into your culture without smothering them yep. there's lots of challenges that still exist um yeah and ultimately i think yeah i agree it's pretty sad didn't work out i mean one of the things i would ask is you know again you have a lot of traditional banks that are are failing to um adapt internally for whatever reason right there's a lot of you know you can spend 20 billion you may not get there still so one of the alternatives is to do a spin-off that's one option and one of the other is an acquisition right and if you look at another big bank like bbva has very cleverly planted a lot of seeds in digital banks throughout the world and so i think you know you have to look uh, if i was at a bpce you know what is their strategy right you know is this going to be something you're going to spin off internally within your your teams in in france or are you going to be able to, you know, bring in these sort of new breed of resources? It's not an easy one. And it's certainly, you know, hard if you're that challenger bank 
to go through that. Yeah, it's not fun. I, I think it's an, an interesting one because, you, as you say, it's there's these different strategies kind of opening up, and actually, different organisations are, as you say, are really sort of approaching it. And even BBVA would say, you know, their simple acquisition didn't work out in the way that they wanted it to. The, you know, they aqua hire and had some amazing people sort of come, like um, uh, Samir. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, who came in and you know ran their APIs, did amazing you know work for them, but really simple didn't turn into what it needed to be. Um, so it's it's interesting, like I say, all of these different strategies, all of these different options. Um, you know, do you build your own thing? Do you buy something? I think in this instance, what they've done is they've probably done the right thing, but they maybe haven't understood necessarily what they bought. Um, I was kind of liking it to like, if I buy a, like a really nice car, but don't learn how to drive a really nice car, I'm probably going to crash it within about 1500 years, you know, and, mm-hmm. and this is yeah, really and what and we've seen. Blame the car manufacturer. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. tank out really good insurance. Yeah. <laughs> or be like Cardi B and just pose with it for photos. You I know? mean, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just to build your brand. Do you know what? I is love this your, the I love your... Cardi B's been referenced on FinTech Insiders? Because that's excellent. Oh yeah. No, she's great. Yeah. She's no, Awesome. But she's known because she has no driver's license and has no idea how to drive, but she owns like a Lamborghini and like all these really nice cars. But she's yeah, anyways, an odd reference for this, but very applicable, an, I would say. It's an awesome <laughs> reference. If anybody doesn't know, <laughs> Megan is very hip-hop. <laughs> oh, I'm very hip-hop. I, rap, hip-hop is, yeah, yeah, I love it. All those chains Post are blinding Malone, me right now. They are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you could just take off that fur. It's, the grill is really... I know, I know. Fur, yeah. I mean, I know it just, it just it resonates so strongly. My brand is being quite gangster, <laughs> so I know it's no surprise to anyone, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's um, hopefully the uh, the folks at Fedor uh, make it through this one, and let's see uh, let's see what happens next. All right, next up, we have a story over on the drum. So this is pay it forwards again and again and again. So the Big Issue teams up with Monzo to make its magazine resellable. So the Big Issue has teamed up with Monzo to launch what it's claiming is the world's first resellable magazine, opening up for potential vendors to earn more. So going under the name Pay It Forward, uh, the partnership between the publisher and the digital bank will see each magazine of the big issue featured with a QR code uh, to allow readers to pass the magazine on to a friend who then can scan the front cover and pay for the magazine again. I mean, this is really going to screw me for just like picking up a guy's magazine like next to me on the train. But like, you know, if he's going to start charging me for it, that's going to be really (laughs) annoying. Um, But what do you think about this one? This is, I guess this is a great thing if actually the original uh, seller is going to get more money for that types of Mm -hmm. transactions. But what do you think? It's like the sharing economy um, meets charity, you know, because now, particularly in San Francisco, you see these things where you can, you know, rent a hammer for like an hour, but it's like the version of that, but in a, in a charitable nice way. You can can rent a hammer for an hour in San Francisco. Can you you rent MC Hammer for an hour? Probably. (laughs) That would be, that would be be very expensive these days. No, I wouldn't say so. No, No, I forget the names of these, but I read an article on it recently because it's like, do the economics actually make sense? But to be fair, I think this one, it has a really nice spin to it. I think the idea that you're helping the big issue, you're kind of, you know, spreading the love, paying it forward, that idea. I mean, again, you're going to be the guy on the train who doesn't want to pay to pick up the magazine. But, you know, for some people, they might like it. Well, I mean, I mean, you could, like, definitely have opportunities to sort of keep moving them forward, isn't it? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Nah. Nah. <laughs> so, so here's yeah, a different idea. What you could do if you wanted to do something charitable is say, hey, anytime you spend money at, I don't know, X merchant, right, we'll round up and put in a charitable fund. That's really straightforward. There's a lot of other ways that I could see people buying yeah. into, you know, helping out and yeah. and sharing economy, not not this. Yeah. To be fair, there is a pretty cool startup called Percent. And what they do is it's loyalty, similar to what Flux does. But instead of giving people cash back or free coffees, what they do is they round up your transaction and put it in towards the charity of your choice. 
which um, they're pretty new, so I don't know how, how you know frequently or well used that they are yet. But I think that idea is really quite cool that, yeah, charity, but at scale, but in yeah, the form so of let, loyalty. Let's say and- I want to run the London Marathon for, I don't know, a certain charitable organization. And then if I spend money at Decathlon or the Shop or whatever, the money be rounded up, put in this charitable account. That's something that actually we're rolling mm-hmm. out a couple of mm-hmm. projects. All right. Well, we managed to speak to Luke from Monzo. Let's see what their thinking was behind this one. Pay It Forward is all about creating the world's first resellable magazine. And the way it works is with The Big Issue, we've identified 20 of their vendors for a project lasting four weeks from the 1st of April. For each of those vendors or sellers, we have created a Monzo account. So that's a full UK bank account. And with every Monzo account, you get what's known as a Monzo MeLink. And that is a unique URL that allows anyone, whether they've got a Monzo account or any other bank account, to pay that Monzo user. We've then taken that Monzo Me link specific to that big issue vendor, turned it into a QR code, printed those QR codes off and attached those to the magazine specific to that vendor. The great thing about this is that when they'll be selling those magazines on the street, so in exactly the same way that they normally do, someone comes up pays £2.50, buys the magazine, takes it home. That magazine can then be resold. So if you pass this on to a colleague, a friend or a loved one, they can scan the QR code at the top. They can then make that payment of £2.50 and that magazine has a life that continues beyond that first transaction. Behind the scenes, that £2.50 is split 50-50. £1.25 going to the big issue to allow them to continue their good work and £1.25 going back to the pockets of that vendor which means that every interaction they have on the street and every magazine sold means that potentially that is a much more beneficial um, interaction they can have. Financial inclusion is top of our agenda. So our mission is about making money work for everyone and the everyone is really important. And so by allowing us to work with an organization that's as internationally respected as the big issue, we get to try out how we can apply our technology to bringing those individuals who uh, are typically financially excluded closer to the mainstream. Ultimately, where we'd like to go with this project is see that the pilot's a success, review it, see what we can improve, and then hopefully roll this out nationwide. That would be amazing. And any step closer and any benefit that we can make to prevent those individuals or any individuals becoming homeless or support those ones who currently are, that would be amazing what sort of strikes me on that like i get it i as as a a sort of charitable initiative i really like it i read something recently from mondo around how they prioritize their feature roadmap and so for example they sort of canned um, digital check imaging because they didn't feel that it would impact on enough of their user base i just wonder where this sits within that um, and also QR codes have always made me just feel uncomfortable. They have always, if you ignore what Alipay are doing or WeChat maybe over in um, in Asia, they've always felt like a solution in search of a problem. Like, what do I need? Do I need to download a QR reader to do this? I don't get it. Well, so, so now that Apple have actually integrated QR reader into their camera, I have noticed people using them more and more. Like yeah. I, went, I went to the Nike store and bought some new trainers. 
They're lovely, aren't they, by the way? Very nice. They are yeah, lovely. Thank yeah. you. Um, to be in a situation, but the, immediately when I made the transaction, they were like, hey, you know, use this QR code, pull out your phone, do it now. Mm. Uh, you know, I get to this thing, you could win 400 pounds or whatever type thing, sure. you know, fill in this thing. So like, I think they are becoming, you know, more and more sort of mainstream now. It's really, really simple to do. Mm. Um, but I don't think that gets away from the point that I don't think human behavior is going to work in this way. Um, I guess like the proof is going to be in the pudding though. Like actually if in six weeks time we see a bunch of statistics come out on this one that a bunch of more money's gone to you know homeless people then well played monzo but um let's wait and see what happens eh? Mm -hmm. absolutely all right uh and finally some of the best financial services pranks over the last years so i don't know if you guys saw any fun april 1st things we'll come back to that in a second but so this was over on the economic times which sounds like a thrilling read i'm not gonna lie uh was how companies across the world played money pranks to fool people on april 1st and they went back in time on a few of these ones so back in 1963 over in the u.s uh view magazine wrote about a, a genome tree that gave out one dollar bills with uh high serial numbers and actually people believe this people went like apeshit for money trees as they were sort of deemed uh in 2011 the uk uh this in the uk this is uh this is money claimed that it was privy to some european court papers uh which uh led people to believe that there was a cat tax of 40 euros uh led to people literally losing their shit i'm not sure if this is like a precursor for how people voted in brexit on that one <laughs> to thinking about it um and then most recently we had in 2018 we had uh, over in the u.s elon musk came up with a series of tweets on the first of april last year announcing his impending bankruptcy uh tesla shares dropped the day after by five percent whoa you kind of got to be careful what you tweet, right? Yeah. Oh, I just love how Elon plays with the shorters. It's so funny. It's hilarious. Toys with them. He's done like a few of these things yeah, now. Yeah. What was the one like they were going to go back private and he's sure. going to buy it for four twenty a share. Yeah. And it turns out, what was that? Like a joke where he was getting high with his girlfriend and tweeted it. Did you hear about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like really tanked their share price. <laughs> it's, Oops. It's like my bad, my bad. <laughs> did, you, um, did you guys see any good um, April Fool's? You know, my favorite ones, I didn't this year. I heard it was banned in the UK because of like the Brexit lack of humor or something or other. But I do remember back in 2015, the tech companies in San Francisco had some real gems. And my favorite one was Google's actual cloud platform with this like massive picture of a dome thing with like clouds coming out. Yeah. Have you seen this? <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Yeah, I really liked it. Apple had a good one too, but I don't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, that was one of my favorites. I didn't really see any this year though, to be honest. I remember a couple years ago, Google had like, we have the self-driving bike. <laughs> and they had like this bike that would just like you'd like hit your mobile phone and you see this bike like flip up, pedal down the streets of Amsterdam, and you had all these Dutch people like, yeah, you know, here in Amsterdam, you know, we're in a biking, we perfected the bike. And my kids believe this. They're like, Dad, I gotta get one of these. I gotta get one of these. So sometimes yeah. it's 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 you know, people really believe in this yeah. stuff. You nailed that accent then, dude. Yeah. That was great. I cannot do the Dutch. Uh, no, that was good. Yeah. You did it. <laughs> Ross, do you see any good ones? No, but I think we had one on this show last week, right? Well, we did, actually, yeah. So, sadly, Rick Astley has not become a crypto millionaire. So, uh, if you did believe that one last last week, mm. then um, I don't think you've been doing your homework no. well. Do you know what? Like, Did you see the Justin Bieber posting a picture of him and his, his, uh, his fiancé saying that they were pregnant? No. And then it turned out they weren't pregnant. Oh, no, they're married, though. You're behind on pop culture. 
Oh, okay. With, what's so her face? What? Oh, but it's that, that's kind of a, that's a very real joke, though. I know, but people yeah, like, lost their shit. <laughs> <laughs> like they absolutely lost their shit. Not no. not because she yeah. was pregnant, but yeah. because she wasn't pregnant. Oh. Like there was a whole backlash yeah. about it was insensitive to like. I don't genuinely think you can do anything without being insensitive to somebody these days. It's quite. Uh, I think I lost the thread on that one fairly early on. Did you? <laughs> people went. <laughs> so people went I mean, crazy. I mean, you're just uh, not a believer, are you? No, I'm not <laughs> a believer. but people went crazy yeah. because she wasn't pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. he said she was pregnant. Okay. As and in April Fool's joke. Yeah. But that's a terrible joke. Like, it's not funny. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like April Fool's has to be like the Google Cloud platform where it's ridiculous and that's why it's yeah. funny. But yeah. like, being like, oh, I have cancer. Oh, hilarious. You know, uh, April yeah. Fool's, you know. Yeah. Or like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that might be too far, but I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a bit extreme. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not April Fool's if it's something that could uh, actually very realistically yeah. yeah. Yeah, if it's too real. I mean, yeah. we sat in the office and came up with a bunch of weird and wacky shit and we were just like, People would believe we would do that. So, yeah, like, yeah, actually, yeah. we need to go really weird, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Anyway. They'd be really next level with it. There was a cute one about, um, like, the, what was it? Dogs and tennis. The, what, what did we call it here at Wimbledon? The, uh, there's a name for association. LTP? No, LTA. No, I don't know. There was a really cute one from them about how they're going to have. They had all these like dog photos. Oh, with, like, dogs little, to come and pick yeah, up. Yeah, the no, they're going to have all these matches. No, they were like actually having a tournament, and then they were like talking about like, oh, will they just you know go and catch the balls and run away? Like, will this be problematic? There's a whole article. I don't know. There's I mean, there. I'm just going to have to go and Google that because it sounds yeah. the most adorable thing anyway. Yeah, it was adorable. And on that note, that wraps up this week's news show. I'm, I think the last part was news, right? Still, um, yeah. I mean, we. Were having fun so let's just go with it right thanks so much to all of our guests um kem where can people find out more about you whenever you want just look us up snowdrop solutions we're here we'll work with you on maps and locations right but more importantly um we enjoy what we're doing you know in fintech it's a cool sector and i keep telling people you know when i was in asia not too long ago um or when i'm in new york there's really this unique vibe here in london and i want to know hats off to you guys for helping sort of amplify that vibe it's a great place to come and it's a great place to work thank you we have a lot of fun um megan cool yeah twitter at megan kwood um yeah that's where i normally am uh also working at barclays but you know the website changes the twitter handle remains the same which is good yeah <laughs> mr gallagher uh yeah so uh ross gur at 11fs.com uh or at ross gallagher 07 on twitter very good. And for me, you can find me at david at 11fs.com. Uh, what do you think of today's stories? Let us know over on at Fintech Insiders on Twitter or email us over on podcasts at 11fs.com. And if you do like the show, I mean, like, don't leave us one of those horrible reviews. Surely like, those people haven't made it this far. I mean, there's been a few. Like, oh, one yeah. guy was really angry. Like, apparently, sort of, you know, equality wasn't his thing. What can I say? Oh. Um, but if you do love the show, please hit us up with one of those five-star reviews over on iTunes. We super-duper love those reviews. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.